The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, the body has always been thought of the problem. The body is what makes us sin with its lusts, its appetites, and its hungers. The body is what makes us sick. The body is what makes us die. The body is that which we must discipline and chastise if we find that we've done wrong. Forever, the body has been thought to be the problem. But what if we could learn that the body is actually the solution to the problem of the soul? What if you were to learn that you cannot fulfill your soul's intention unless the body realizes its nature as soul? We can't wrap our heads around that idea very easily. But what if it were the truth? All the while, we're making it the problem. Well, today we're going to wrap our heads around this final and fulfilling truth, that the body is actually the solution to the eternal problem. So how in the world could that possibly be? I mean, forever we've heard that the sins of the flesh are the problem. And we know the body gets sick, we know the body dies, and we know that the soul is eternal. That's what we've been taught, right? The soul is eternal, the body is temporary. The body is the problem. It's just a vessel that we use for a little while while we're down here on earth, and then we kick it off and we move on to some eternal place. And if we believe in uh, the classic traditional um, Western motif, we just go on throughout eternity. Uh, We don't ever come back again. And in the Eastern motif, in some of them at least, we come back again to experience life again in a new body. And so it's hard for us to imagine that this temporal thing that is the body could be, uh, could really be a solution to our eternal problem. But here's the deal. If we came here to create form and the body is form, then why is it just an unimportant, uh, you know, temporary thing? What is that all about? Well, I have a theory, and it's proposed in my latest book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, but it's also been proposed uh, off and on through other talks that I've given just briefly as here on uh, Authentic Living, where we talked about the body as something much more important than what we've given it credit for. It is possible that many of us are living basically out of touch with our bodies, either living in some sort of surreal place in our heads or living um, halfway tuned in to what our body has to tell us or really just living somewhere right up above our heads somewhere out of the body, out of touch with it entirely. And 
in fact, that feels pretty safe to us, you know, to, to, to not really be invested much in the body because we know it's temporary. We know that it's going to die. We know it's going to get sick. It's, we know it's going to have pain. We know that it has appetites and hungers and lusts that we don't really want to engage in. Yet here we are in this body, if we're living in it, that is. So what are we supposed to do? The theory that I have is this, and some of you have heard parts of this before at least. It is this. We came here as Elohim, that is, uh, God as formlessness. And God, the, the word Elohim is a plural word. It means many. It is, there's many gods in it. But it's also human. It means the belly of a man, a false god, a true god, the adore-facing the tree from which the wood of the door facing came. So it's a kind of combination word that's both human and divine, both, ma- both matter and formlessness. Very interesting term. And uh, so a doorway, you can see if you open the door, there's emptiness there. But all around the door is the facing, the, the structure that holds the door in place, the lentil. Uh, and that piece has to be there uh, for us to know that there's a door there. So it's both form and formlessness in one image. Interesting word, yes. Um, And Elohim created all the earth from formlessness and then um, created humans also from formlessness. And so then form was here. Once upon a time there was no form and then there was form. But what happened was And it goes like this a little bit in the story. And I I want you to know that I I really believe this story is totally metaphor. It is not a literal story at all. It is not telling us of a singular man and a singular woman planted in a singular place on a singular planet. It's telling us about the creation of form and uh, uh, from formlessness. And so what what happened there is the the metaphorical story goes like this, that that, um, the earth and all that was in it was created. And, but it wasn't the, nothing yet had sprouted on the earth. In other words, there were there was a creation of form, but it had not yet come into its fullness. Humans were also created and yet not put in their fullness either. They were sort of in a body, but a subtle body, not so much in uh, flesh and blood that we know today. And as such, they uh, Eve being the feminine. Uh, aspect of humanity, uh, archetype of humanity, Adam being the masculine archetype of humanity, uh, were living together in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is a symbol for divine consciousness. Um, Charles Fillmore tells us that, as well as we can see that in the actual words, the root language of the of the word uh, of the Garden of Eden, the words the Garden of Eden. And um, um, so it's divine consciousness. So they're sort of planted in this divine consciousness. They know themselves as divine beings, right? So then what happens is uh, they, if Eve, again, the feminine part of us, wants to um, receive. She wants to go internal and, and take from the internal what's in there. The problem is that Adam had already named everything on the planet from an external motif before the feminine aspect was ever created. 
Now, what I mean by that is if you put um, the masculine archetype together with the feminine archetype, what you get in the human psyche is wholeness so that you can go inside and find out what's in there and then you can give it to the masculine and it will take it outside and manifest it in the external world. That's how the feminine and masculine work very well together. And, you know, I don't know whether those words are the appropriate words that we should be using for that, but that's the words Carl Jung chose, so I use them. And they've been thrown around a lot in our modern culture, so I'll use them. Um, But uh, so this feminine uh, archetype of humanity goes and wants to internalize. She's not allowed, she has not been allowed her truest nature as an, as, as internal, internality. She's not been allowed to be interiority of humanity. She's been named, like everything else, as from an external point of view. So everything has been externalized in the human psyche. And so she goes and she eats of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, the tree is a simple word for wood, but it also means a shutting. So we, she shuts a door when she does that. She eats of, of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, we've been taught to believe that that good and evil had to do with, with actual characteristics of humanity, so you could be a good person or an evil person. But actually, the terms mean more like pleasant and unpleasant. In other words, we now had the capacity to suffer. Why? Because the moment she incorporated, took into the body-mind of humanity the idea of duality, that there were two, not one anymore. That's when she be- the door was shut to life without suffering. And the door was shut also to an experience of the body as form and formlessness at the same time. Originally, Adam and Eve were created as form and formlessness at the same time. But, or at least Adam was. And so, but it's change, it changes after that point in time. And what happens is that then God goes walking in the garden and he and uh, Adam and Eve are hiding from him. And there's, I'm using God and him there because that's, what, that's the metaphors that are used in the, in the story. And so um, they, they're hiding from him and then they, uh, he finds them and they say, oh, we were naked and we were ashamed, so we gave ourselves some fig leaves. And so at that point is when they're given flesh and blood bodies. God made for them skin to put over their subtle bodies. So that's when the physicality became a part of humanity, after we'd eaten the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So now we're in form, and we think we're separate from the divine. And that, at that point, we began to ask those dualistic questions that are essential to the fullest creation of form. The questions are, am I Am, am I separate now from the divine as form? I'm looking over there at formlessness. I'm so very different now from formlessness. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm separate from formlessness? What, what, what does that mean about me? What, what characteristics does a person or, or someone that is different from formlessness have? And that's what we've been trying to find out ever since. And so this good and evil aspect means that we now suffer. But here's the deal. If it, the process of integration toward wholeness is one in which we suffer, but our suffering brings us closer to the soul or the self. And that is the same exact process that happens through this duality trans state as we've walked through it for centuries now. 
getting closer and closer and closer and closer over time to understanding who we are really as divine beings in form. In the end, what will happen is we will have come full circle. We, have, we will have come to know ourselves as both form and formlessness, as both divine and human. And when that happens, the union of all those archetypes, good, evil, masculine, feminine, um, up, down, dark, light, all those seeming opposites will be united in oneness. And so uh, we will then know ourselves as both form and formlessness. We will understand who we actually are, and the creation of form will finally be complete And it will not be complete until that time. You see, what we think of as a creation that happened once upon a time, long years ago, in seven-day period of time, and some people say it was like 6,000 years ago, which is unbelievably um, impossible given the science we understand. Um, But but, um, that idea that it was a once upon a time thing and it's done now proves to be false. It, it turns out that it's not done. We're still in the process of creating form. And in that process, we are walking through duality, thinking that we're separate from the divine and that the body is a lot of nothing. But here's the real big thing. If the body is what we've come here to create for the first time in the history of the universe, form is being created from formlessness. If that's what we're really here doing then the body is the most important thing of all. And that's the story that we want to tell today. The body then becomes the most important thing of all. The soul's already been in place. It's been in place forever. The soul is formless. It knows what it's up to. And as a matter of fact, it is actually the central organizing feature of our lives. So all the while we may be suffering, the soul is still getting squeezing that down to its, um, to its juices so that we can become whole, we can become more fluid, we can become more um, capable of being who we actually are. And that process is an ever-unfolding process, lifetime after lifetime, uh, incarnation after incarnation. We come here and get a little constituent piece of what we're going to get in the whole each lifetime. And we do not fail to get that particular piece, regardless of how we've lived, regardless of whether we've gone to the darkest end of the polarity that we might call evil and live that out we still get something we came here to get because the soul will take even from that what it needs to bring us to complete awareness of who we are because if all the experiments we're supposed to be doing have to do with um, playing around in this idea of good and evil which is what duality really is all about. Mankind is evil because it's not God, and God is good because it's not human. That's how we've split it off in our head. And we said out loud like that, it sounds a little laughable, doesn't it? But that is how we think. Um, so we, we have this notion about our separation, and we live into that completely. And if we live into that completely, we are going to have to sometimes go to the darkest end of that. And maybe the only thing we get from that is the experience of going to the darkest end of that. What was that like? What is it like to live in the darkest end of the two poles that are so completely opposite to each other, at least in our thinking, good and evil? 
and and so we have that experience and we come back into um, the between life experience, life experiences where we are able to go wow that's what that was like now I have that experience and now I understand what that's like to live on the darkest coldest most isolated most lonely most abandoned place in the universe I know what that's like now and now I can have a different experience in my next life incarnation. And that is what the knowledge in the word, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is all about. The word knowledge is doth, which is basically just knowing all kinds of different knowledge. But if you take the root word from doth, it is yada. And yada means to reveal oneself to oneself by experience. That's what we're here doing. We're here to reveal ourselves to ourselves through the experience of duality. And so the, in, order, in order for a creation to, have, to really be complete, all the questions about that creation have to be answered. We have to really understand how a light bulb works in order to recreate another one, don't we? So we've, it's the same exact thing with humanity. We have to really understand what humanity really is all about in form as a divine being in form before we can move on to the next stage of creation. So once matter is fully created and knows itself to be both divine and formless and form, then who knows what we'll be creating next. But we have decided to take this brave journey because we are participants with Elohim in the creation of ourselves anew as form. And again, that makes the body the most important thing in the journey. So if we really believe that, then it, it, how do we think about the whole thing about death? What does that really mean? Well, what it really means is that while we're in the duality trance state, the body dies. I don't know that, what, that it'll always be that way once we move out of the duality trance state and know ourselves to be one with the divine and one with all things and one with all people and one with all flesh. I don't know that that's what it'll be like. What we typically think is that we're here for this temporary journey and then if we, then we move back into formlessness and we either stay there forever or, or stay there for a while and come back into another body and then come back out into formlessness again. And so we, we could keep doing that forever and never get anything out of it. Except, you know, one life that's supposed to teach us one thing and the next life is supposed to teach us the opposite. <laughs> um, you know, I hear people talk about karma that way, that, uh, oh, well, I murdered somebody in this life, so the next life they're going to murder me, and then what? And then the next life you're going to murder them again? And the next life they're going to murder you again? What, what is that? Um, are we going to grow through this process? Are we going to become something different? Hopefully. And, and those who really understand karma do really know that, that it's really not that limited. It's not that black and white, and it's very definitely not that limited. And there is a growth process where we move out of samsara into something much more uh, complete. But uh, still, the body is not configured into that completion very often. And so the body is still cast aspersions upon, and uh, much of what we think about the body is very limited to uh, that idea that the body's just temporary and it's a problem and it causes us to do bad things and it gets hungry and it loses its temper and it does all kinds of things and uh, gets us into trouble with its appetites and its hungers and its lusts. And therefore, ultimately, it has to die. Uh, so we're going to talk about that some more. What is that really all about? Right after the break, stay tuned. You want to hear some more of this if you want to know what the body's really all about.
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Your path to wellness includes a body, mind, and spirit connection. Listen for Guidance from Above. You are not alone. Featuring your host, Joe Homar. Explore unknown parts of you. Access a vast array of possibilities that await you. Expand your energy field. Keep an open mind. Tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The answers you are seeking are within. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you ready to stop feeling imprisoned and start being empowered? It's time to change your way of living. Listen for Empowering Your Soul with Lisa Willette. We're all just getting ready to make the metamorphosis in our lives. Change can result in our highest good. If you are feeling stagnant in your life and want to bring about personal change as well as change to your environment, do yourself a favor and tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And welcome back. Do you know that the American Institute of Holistic Theology wants you to know about its five different holistic degree programs? You can get a degree in holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. And you can get not just a degree, you can get a ministerial bachelor's degree, which means that does not include general ed studies. You go straight to studying about what you're most interested in. You can get a master's degree in any of those five programs, or you can get three, one of three different doctorate degrees. You can get a Ph.D., which is a doctor of philosophy in uh, any of the programs. You can get a Th.D., which is a doctor of theology in the holistic theology program, or you can get a doctorate of ministry which is, uh, in any of those five programs. So um, that's, a, that's a big... Uh, amount of education you can get and this pro this program is so unique because it is an interfaith and inner spiritual program that intends to offer you an opportunity to come to know your authentic spiritual path and not only your authentic spiritual path but it will also give you more confidence in your unique gift the one you intend to bring to the world 
so that you can feel more confident in it and we can present it with great um, compassion and openness to whoever comes to service for you. They study all of the world's religions. They also study many of the spiritual paths many of the spiritual traditions. They also study various modalities of holistic health. They also study both the science and the wisdom behind parapsychology. And they also study the philosophy of metaphysics. So there's a whole lot there you want to research. Today, you can go to www.aiht.edu and check it out for yourself, all the various programs Slip up, uh, slip under there the little tab that says academics, and you'll learn more about each one of the programs. You can see a review of each one of the courses there. So check it out at www.aiht.edu, or you can call the admissions director, Beverly Love, directly at 800-650-4325. Again, that's 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today on the Authentic Living Show about the body and its importance in the spiritual uh, saga that we're telling uh, about our journey here on planet Earth. Uh, The body becomes very, very important in that journey in that the body is interlocking with the soul. And, you know, when we study the chakra system, um, we understand that the chakras are both inside the body and they make up, they comprise at least a part of the auric body, the, the etheric body that's sort of outside the body. Um, and some people say that the body is, uh, that the soul is inside the body. Well, I believe that this, the body is inside the soul. That, the, that it's kind of like an egg, that, that the body is the yolk and the, and the soul is the egg white. Um, and that's, a, that's an image that I want you to work with as we talk about this some more because um, the chakra system is set up to be a sort of lock and key system uh, to wake the body up. Um, people talk about something called kundalini energy. I don't know whether you're familiar with that term or not, but basically it, it's an old mythological term that has to do with whether or not we're awake. So the mythology is that there's a snake an eternity, a snake representing the Ouroboros, which is the snake eating its, uh, its tail, and the snake is the, so represents eternity. Um, and the snake is sitting at the base of the spine, coiled down there, dormant, asleep. And uh, it needs something to wake it up so that it can rise up through the chakras, the seven chakras that start at the base of the spine and move up through the body into the crown chakra and wake every one of them up so that the body is now more awake at that level as well. And each one of the chakras represent a specific psychological, emotional, and body function. So the first chakra has to do with security issues about um, money and how we're going to eat and how we're going to clothe ourselves and how we're going to, you know, what we're going to do here on this earth as we're walking right here on planet earth. If that chakra is closed, then we don't have a very firm, solid walk on the planet. We don't, aren't really sure about what we want to do about money. We're not really sure about what we want to do about um, security. We don't, we're not really sure about how we're going to take care of ourselves, basically. So that is a real body uh, entry point, that first chakra. 
and and it has to wake up there first if we think of it in terms of the first through the seventh chakras so and then the the second chakra has to do with sexuality it has to do with gender identity it also has to do with how we relate to the planet to other people and to the body itself um, the third chakra has to do with our will and our power and how we uh, trust ourselves to be t- to take care of ourselves and to respond appropriately to life's challenge. Um, the fourth is the heart chakra. It's all about how we love and how we are loved. That's the piece that we miss out on so many times. We, we think more about how we're supposed to be giving love. And what I always say is if you stick a supposed to in front of it, it's not love. Um, but it, it, love generates itself. It doesn't need a supposed to to operate. And uh, so the heart chakra opens when, that, when the kundalini energy rises up into it. And we come to love and, com- and have compassion more for ourselves and other people and life itself and the things and objects and uh, natu- natural elements of our world. And also then the, the fifth chakra has to do with how we communicate, how we speak, what we get in terms of information about the world, sort of the the intuitive information we gather so that we can respond to it, communicating with it. The uh, sixth chakra is the third eye, which is insight, how we see, how we perceive life, people, things, matter, all of that is perceptual. And then finally, the the, uh, seventh chakra, the crown chakra, is considered to be the spiritual opening. And that one, it, uh, according to my understanding of what we're told in the root language of the um, texts of the Bible and also uh, the t- Jewish Tanakh and also some of the sacred texts from, from other religions such as the Bhagavad Gita, we're, we learn that there are actually five more chakras above those, uh, above the crown chakra that open as we become more and more awake and insert our the, the soul into the body more and more. So... Why did I go into all that? Because those are all part and parcel of how the body, the body wakes up to itself. So I try to imagine sometimes what it might be like to live both as form and as formlessness. And there are some people who report understanding a little bit of this. Some of uh, the light bringers, as they call themselves, um, understand what it's like to be able to step in and out of form. You can become formless for a minute and then step back into form. Some of the old yogis uh, report having stepped out of form and into formlessness and then come back to form again. Um, some of the mythologies in the bi- biblical texts, those about Ezekiel who, uh, you know, um, and Enoch who walked with God and was not. Um, those are interesting ways of saying that that make you believe that perhaps they understood something about what it's like to be in both form and formlessness. And for most of us, that seems a lot like a lot of woo-woo, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of magical thinking. But it makes you wonder if the body really is a, a big part of what we're doing here. We're finishing the creation of the body and all of matter. Then um, wouldn't it be interesting to see what that would be like? See, what would the body be like? if it could be both form and formlessness, if it didn't, in other words, have to die. One of the phrases that I find interesting in uh, the texts of the New Testament where Jesus says that he's, he's telling his disciples that he's about to, to go on to heaven or go on into transition. And he says to them that um, because he's going to the Father, uh, uh, that we will also be able to do the things that he does. 
And then he says, and greater things than these shall you do. Now, that's, of course, in the English language. He didn't say it that way, but uh, and who knows what he actually said because we don't have him standing here talking in front of us, but that's what we understand. And um, from that, it's interesting to think about because it, it seems to indicate that if he could raise people from the dead, and we can do that too, then what is greater than raising someone from the dead? Hmm. That's an interesting thought. What would be greater than raising someone from the dead? Well, I would say it might be not dying. So is it possible to live in form and not die? Well, no, that's just crazy, Andrea. That's just ridiculous. Who can even imagine such a thing? That's this stupid. Stop talking about that stupid stuff, right? (laughs) Well, that's generally how we think of it. No, that's just, you know, ridiculous woo-woo talk. But try to imagine it. Try to imagine what it would be like to not die and live in this body. Well, the first thing we think is, well, that would mean I'd just have to get older and older and older and older and older and older and older, you know, and I'd just be this wrinkled up prune and, and without any sense, doddering around forever. And, you know, who wants to do that? Well, that's not what I'm talking about. If body can not die, the body can also not age. All right, now you're really talking crazy, Andrea. Come on, this is just ridiculous. What are you saying? You're out of your mind, right? Well, if the body really is that thing that we're creating, and what we're supposed to understand is that the body is both formless and form, which many of our quantum physicians are, are coming closer and closer to actually proving scientifically, and we have information that just wows people all the time about how the, how the uh, parts of the body, parts of matter, are so reduced into infinitesimal small pieces that are constituent to the larger, more visible pieces that we have to understand those pieces as formless. Those smaller pieces are formless. The quarks, the neutrinos that are down there underneath the atoms and the electrons and the protons – Those are formless. They don't have a form. And yet they comprise the thing we call form. So we already are formless and form. We just don't know it. And that's the big deal. The big deal is that we can come to know it. And knowing it will mean we'll get to experience it. And experiencing it means we get to live into it more and more. And living into it means we get to change the body actually into what it is. The body begins to take on what it actually is, just like it has for centuries, evolved into more and more of a usable piece <laughs> of, of, of sort of technology that we can use better and better. Just like we've seen... Um, and I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the little fish that can live down in the darkness. And they started off uh, many centuries ago as with, with eyes that could see. And since they've lived in darkness for so many centuries now, they don't need eyes anymore. So they've changed. Uh, that's how we'll change. Once we become more and more aware of our quantum body uh, and uh, what some would call the etheric body. So that piece makes us begin to go, okay, well, what would that be like to be in a body that doesn't, not only doesn't die, but doesn't age? 
Deepak Chopra was one of the first thinkers uh, recently that taught us about how we could not age by exercising more and, and better and having better nutrition and, um, you know, uh, asserting the idea that age wasn't necessary. We didn't have to age in a body. Um, and as time has gone by, um, I'm sure we've seen him age slightly. And uh, um, we also have seen that... Uh, there is more information out there about uh, changing changing our form just a bit so that we can, can reconsider this whole idea of age. And one of the most fundamental principles that he put out there, which I completely agree with, is that um, because we uh, that we don't die of old age. No one dies of old age. They die of a disease, um, but they and that they get when they're old, but they don't die of old age. And so. Um, he even talks about, uh, at some point, he even talked about his father just sort of transitioning. He knew he was going to go. He told his wife he was going to go, and that day he was gone, just left. So now what does that mean? Of course, he went ahead and died, and we're talking about not dying. What I'm saying is as long as duality is a part of our body experience, as long as we believe that we're separate from the divine, in other words, that we are not divine, as long as we continue to believe that, we are going to die. Because that's what was said when uh, um, they were, Adam and Eve were sort of warned that if they chose this path, they would die. And that's the path we chose, and so we die. Um, so it, the experience that we're having is, is one of transition. That, that is a long, progressive line of transition from from creation to the finish of creation and we're still in the in the creation phase um and so we're having to experiment with this whole thing of duality as i said in the in the uh first segment of our show we're experimenting with duality and all of those experiments means that we uh come to believe and live it out that we die that we age and that we die and of course what we've come to do medically is we've expanded the, the uh, length of time an individual can live here on the planet um, by about 30 or 40 years, actually, which is pretty good. But we also hear stories about people from old ancient times living much, much longer than that. Are those stories true? I don't know. But we hear about it. makes you wonder. Um, maybe we've evolved backwards and then having to go back up again in a, in a way that's more conscious. I don't know. And I don't know. And it's, that's going to be a mystery until we uncover it. But the idea here is that the body is fundamental. The body is a fundamental principle of this creative endeavor that we're in. And so why do we ignore it? Why do we try not to notice it? Why do we or over-notice it? Way with uh, ideas like body image and ideas like hypochondria and things like that. We either over-notice it or we under-notice it. It's difficult for us to just be present in it and alive in it and really experience it as it is a divine being. And it even, even when we become conscious of that, it's still difficult. I mean, I've been working on this thing for a few years now and it's still difficult for me to... to uh, sort of talk to my brain that still believes in duality and tell my brain that, well, you know, maybe that's that thing you believe might not really be true. It might also be true that you have the capacity to self-heal or the capacity to not age 
or the capacity to um, be much healthier than you think of yourself as being. So those capacities are hard to talk ourselves into. But maybe as time goes by and we've experienced more and more of the duality trans-state, we'll begin to see clearer and clearer and clearer generation after generation as to who we are as formlessness and form. And then it won't be talking our minds into it anymore. We'll just know it. Wouldn't that be interesting? Well, we're going to talk some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned for the last segment where we're going to talk about what we can do now about the body. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. It has been foretold that this is a time of great change in the consciousness of the planet. What is the paradigm shift required to usher in a new reality? Join avatars Peggy and David as they introduce a new and fresh living spirituality which will stretch you and cause you to question everything you have learned on your spiritual journey. Tune in every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel for The Avatars, ushering in a new beginning. And get ready for a provocative discussion that will challenge many of your most cherished spiritual beliefs. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the body as the most important feature of our soul journey. And if you've missed the first and second segment of this show, I ask you to go back and listen in the archives because there's a reason why the body is the most important part of our uh, spiritual journey here on planet Earth. Um, And it's explained in the first and second segments. But I'm not going to go into that now again. What I'm going to do now is talk about what we can do today to really start paying attention to the body. Uh, The first thing we can begin to do is is, uh, listen to the body. Listen to what it's saying to us. If a knee is hurting, what is that saying to us? Is it just saying the knee's hurting and I need to get some aspirin or some um, arthritis medicine or what? Or is there some other message there? We can put the soul together with the body by meditating on the body part. 
We can join body, mind, and spirit by meditating on a body part and asking that body part what it's really trying to say to us. Now, I'll tell you a story from my own life. Once upon a time, uh, many years ago, probably about 20 years ago now, I, um, I had to have knee surgery because I had torn a uh, cartilage in my knee. And um, I had a dream during that time, after the surgery, not before, but after the surgery, that, uh, that I was an Indian and I was in a, a big teepee and there were all these white soldiers around and they were um, coming through and just marauding and slicing and killing all, uh, mass amounts of the people in my village. And I was hiding in the tent, hoping that no one would ever see me in there. And I, uh, one of the soldiers was on his horse, and he bent down with his sword, and he opened up the, the little tent door, the teepee door, and uh, I was in there. And I looked up at him, and I screamed the word abandonment. That was my dream. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all in the real world. And so, as Clarissa Pinkola Estes tells us, the dream is the riddle maker. Um, and it gave me a riddle that I could work with. And so I began to meditate on that, and I began to write about that. I had a little time to do that because I was off work with my after the surgery. And, um, and I just really worked on that. And what I came to understand was that my knee, that bendable part of the way that I walk, the flexible moving part of the way that I walk the planet, felt like it couldn't be as flexible because of abandonment issues in my life. And so I began to really work on those. And, of course, my knee got better after the surgery, which everyone would expect it would. So I don't have any miraculous healing story to tell you. But I do have to tell you that the doctor told me that I would never squat again after that. And that regardless of the surgery, that, I, that it was never going to happen. And doctors are famous for saying you'll never. But <laughs> I know that now. But uh, he told me I'd never squat again. And I, I squat very nicely, thank you. And... Um, and uh, But it's not just about that piece. It's about what I gained from the experience of knowing that my body part was telling me something about my psychology, my soul, myself. Because I listened deeper than just, oh, that hurts, let me go get some aspirin. But rather to, okay, what's really going on here? So the body was talking to me. My body was talking to me, and my body talks to me frequently, and your body talks to you frequently, and we don't know how to listen. Mostly we don't know how to listen because for generation after generation after generation, we've been told that the body is something we should ignore. Um, my mother, and I'm sure many of your mothers, said the same thing. Um, just get up and move. You know, if it's hurting, just get up and move. Just don't lay around and, you know, wallow in your body pain. Just get up and move. And um, that's been the cure for centuries for many things. Just get up and move. And there is a little bit of truth to that. Practicing yoga is a way of moving that does stretch and limber us and make us uh, more... Uh, uh, the body is more in tune to the psyche and the soul there because of yoga, because it's a meditational tool as well as a physical tool. Unfortunately, in Western culture, it's turned, been turned into a way to think only in terms of body image. And so let's talk just a minute about body image. Body image is that 
that thing we use the body as a tool to make ourselves feel better about ourselves in the because we think other people can see us in a light that makes us look okay um, so that's all about how other people see us it is not about who we are it is not about authenticity it is not about uh, becoming truer to yourself it's not about happiness it's not about joy it's not about life it's not about anything except how do other people see me. And it's all perceptual. So if I wear this clothing or that clothing or do my hair this way or that way, then they're going to see me this way or that way. And I'm going to th- they're going to think that I'm this beautiful person. And therefore, maybe I actually am a beautiful person. Well, you are a beautiful person, but it's not because of what they see. See, what we do is we reach outside of ourselves to decide who we are. When all the while, who we are is being, that information is being given to us constantly inside of ourselves. And we don't want to listen to that because the body is bad. The body is a problem. The body is is sin. The body is lust. The body is appetite. The body is a problem. And it needs to be squelched. So we, we push it to jog, you know, long, long distances so we'll be skinny and we... Go have all these surgeries on our faces and our bodies so that we can be skinny and look good to other people. And we, and this is just, just a deformation of what the body is here to do. Now, I'm not saying that we should go around and just let the body be deformed in the other way by being lazy and not ever exercising or, or overeating or all of those things. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that that middle ground, that middle way the Buddha talks about is more like um, paying attention to the body. To listen to what it has to say, to enjoy it, enjoy its sensations. And I'm not just talking about sex. That's another way we sort of deform our view of the body, where we say um, the body is great for sex and uh, it's great for exercise and it's great for, you know, I can feel all the sensations of sex and maybe I can even feel all the sensations of eating lots of food, but I can't really know my body. I can't really go there and listen to it and hear what it has to say to me. Um, so uh, not only are we told that the body is bad and that it's just a waste of time to listen to that, we are also told that um, the body is pain. The body is pain in the sense that not only does it create have physical pain, but it also is a place where we store emotional pain, and we absolutely do. We store emotional pain in the body. And so we're afraid if we get in touch with the body, we're going to get in touch with that emotional pain. And yes, we will. But here's the thing. That emotional pain has a message to give us about how to turn our lives into joy. And if we never listen, we're never going to know how to turn our lives into joy. And so that idea of not listening to the body is wrongheaded in every way I can think of. The body is not just an image. The body is not just an image. That means if we think the body in terms only of its image, we might as well be ghosts. That's how much, that's how much, how thin that idea is. It's vaporous. But if we live in the body as a whole, powerful God, which it is, it is a God, it is divine energy within us. If we live in the body as God, as divine energy, wow, how much it has to tell us about life, 
about ourselves, about how we're responding to other people and events in our lives, about the truth of our interactions with other people, about what's going on between us and other people. I'll never forget uh, a one time I had a, a friend who was fairly toxic in my life and had to be removed from my life. Um, but every time that friend called, um, as I was in the process of sort of making sure I got away from that friend, every time that person called, I got sick to my stomach and had to throw up. <laughs> now that's, that's some energy my body's going, hello, this is toxic. Now, that was a phone call. A telephone call did that to me. That's, that's the body saying, hello, 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 this person is poison for you. And I listened, and I began to move that person out of my life. So the body is very, very informative about what's really going on with us, between us and other people, if we pay attention. But it's not informative if we're not listening. We have to listen. So that's a huge first step. And the next step is to do what it says. Now, I'm not saying that every time we feel sexually attracted to someone, we should go have sex with them. (laughs) And I'm not saying that every time we feel such anger that we ball up our fists and want to sock somebody in the face, that we should sock them in the face. What I am saying is that when the body says, that person is toxic, can't you see me throwing up here? (laughs) Stay away from that person. When the body says, uh, this is a beautiful sensation, this makes me relax, it makes my shoulders you know, just kind of fall down into place, it, uh, it makes my whole body begin to relax. Oh, this is a good place to be. Let me come here more often. Okay? The resonance with place is important to the body. Um, uh, and, and the same with relationship, the same with what we're eating, the same with what we're doing with our time, the same with what we're doing with our body in terms of exercise. Uh, there is there is so much out there today. I mean, it, everything, all the all the magazines, all the newspapers, all many of the newsletters, um, a lot of the stuff you see on TV and online is all about image. It's not about the body. It's not about trusting the body. It's not about trusting the body to carry us. When you think about how much this body. Excuse me. Actually, does for us. It breathes in and in and out, even when we're scared. It carries us around, uh, even when we're tired. It keeps going when we starve it. It keeps going when we, uh, <coughs> excuse me, beat it up with too much exercise. It keeps going when we overwork it, underfeed it, undernourish it, under under let it rest under rest it it keeps going the heart keeps beating we keep breathing in and out and life keeps going on and on and on that's the body that is is just always there for us always just taking care of us no matter what we how we treat it until eventually we wear it out and it finally has to fold but and it will talk to us about how we're treating it if we listen But it's going to keep on going until its time is up. And its time is up when the soul says so. That's how connected the soul and body actually are. Even in duality. Even in duality, the soul decides what's going to happen with the body. 
So, you know, you think about when people die. Have they said goodbye to everybody they want to say goodbye to? Well, if they haven't, often they don't die until they do. And then they've said goodbye, and then they die. It's a very interesting process to watch somebody die. A sacred process where you see somebody actually making choices from their soul about when they're going to go. And that process is slowed way down when we see somebody who's sick. Of course, it happens very quickly when somebody's in an automobile accident or something. But it tells us about that body, how powerful it actually is to unite with the soul. And one day, perhaps we won't have to die to see that. So you've been listening today to what it is that the body is all about. The, the body is the final solution to our eternal problem. And, and we've seen a real twist in how things actually are, as opposed to how we've been taught they are. A lot of things to think about. But I hope you will think about them, and not just say, oh, that's just too woo-woo for me. Uh, I hope you will think about it and consider it. Check out the book, Inhabiting Heaven Now. There's some more about that in there. And next week we're going to talk. We're going to have a uh, special encore presentation by Mike Robbins about his newly published book, "Nothing Changes Until You Do: A Guide to Self-Compassion and Getting Out of Your Own Way." So be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.